Alrighty, class. Welcome to the Florida Man Murders Podcast. This is your friend Siege. And before we get started today, we have a couple of announcements. First, welcome to episode eight, our first ever season finale. But fear not, as season two kicks off in February. Just enough time for me to give Chris some geography lessons and Roger to close that portal to hell in his garage that all the crickets and spiders come through. In the meantime, Chris and I will be popping up with the occasional mini-episode, mini-ep, mini-sode, not really sure what to call them yet, but this is the time to smash that like, subscribe, download button so you don't miss a thing. On behalf of Chris Roger, Five Reasons Sports, we want to thank you for riding with us from Jump and spreading the word. We honestly can't do this without you, and it means a lot to us. Now wipe those tears, little ones. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to The Florida Man Murders, a true crime comedy podcast about murder, madness, mayhem, and other shady shit that goes down in the Sunshine State. Each week, your hosts, Chris, Roger, and Siege, take you on a dark, twisted journey through the bowels of the most wretched fiends and nefarious events throughout the history of Florida and then make inane quote-unquote funny observations about it all, like the half-soused nitwits that they are. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy, if you dare. Sorry, guys. Roger, Roger was in like a 25 We had dragons in your... Wait, oh, my garage? Dude, <laughs> that door is fucking terrible, man. Oh, Jesus. I know. I don't know either. When, we were, when you first went off the screen, we thought you like fell into like a seventh circle of hell. Yeah. It's terrible, man. It's like... The weird part is that we ha- the motor is like super updated, but the door system itself is from 1960 or some shit like that. So, <laughs> he's a WD-40. Oh, yeah, we, we lubed it up last she year, and now to. it still sounds like an old man's dick. <laughs> All right, part two. Okay. Part two of who killed who killed the West Palm Beach uh, judge and his wife. The worst titled episode <laughs> so far here in Florida. Uh, brackets. Super sorry. <laughs> Part two. The search for more. Um, the search for a better title. <laughs> so, have we figured out who killed the judge and his wife yet? Yeah, I mean, I I thought all week about it, and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was Emilio Estefan. <laughs> that's my wow. that's the only guess I have so far. Wow, yeah, that's the only one I have. I, I'm probably pretty close. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was about. That he's underwater, <laughs> and he's not getting out. 
Siege? Siege, any any theories? This is probably Don Johnson, if I'm being perfectly Ooh, honest. Right. These are, these are <laughs> weirdly 80s referenced Miami people. Both guys are probably two years old. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's obvious. It was, uh, yeah. it was Bob Greasy. Um, <laughs> Bob Greasy. Uh, so, yeah, the question remains, who is the benefactor? And is Lucky... Is yeah, the benefactor was the big question mark there at the end. Mm-hmm. Very mysterious. And is Lucky Floyd full of shit? Or is he being real? So benefactor was a Meyer Lansky. I'm just gonna take a Sammy, swing. Sammy the Bull. Sammy the Bull. Um oh. so recapping part one, we have prominent judge Curtis Chillingworth and his wife, Marjorie, were reported missing from their West Palm Beach house. And declared legally dead two years later, after investigators failed to find their bodies. All investigators had to go on was a broken porch light and a few drops of dried blood found on the Chillingworth porch that led into the beach. Have we checked out whether it might have been alien abduction? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> oh, shit. Aliens are a suspect. Uh, other suspects, might maybe the mob. Uh, you know, mobsters, maybe, you know, because Judge Chillingworth had threatened to take them down. Uh, had a lot of en- enemies, a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. Maybe the... And possibly pirates. aliens too, like who the fuck knows? <laughs> Leave no stone, stone unturned. Uh, maybe the corrupt and racist West Palm Sheriff John Kirk, a man who had mob ties. It's right around the time of John the Kirk. crisis. Mm-hmm. John Kirk. It was John F. Kennedy. Uh, and maybe Floyd Lucky Halt Sapple himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but our main suspect, as we mentioned, is a man called the Benefactor, who Lucky worked for. Um, so who is the Benefactor? Is it one of these suspects we mentioned? Someone else? Aliens? The game is afoot. <laughs> so... Fuck. Yeah, Watson. <laughs> last week we ended. <laughs> last week we ended with Lucky Floyd telling his buddy James Yenzer that he knew what happened to Chillingsworths, and told him that they were rubbed out by their boss, the benefactor. Yenzer then went to the benefactor and told him all this, thinking it was just Lucky being a drunken asshole. But then he was offered eight thousand dollars by the benefactor to go and kill Lucky Floyd thus confirming that the benefactor was indeed involved in Judge Chillingworth and his wife's disappearance and death and wanted Floyd and his big, drunk mouth silenced. Also, Yenzer was aware of another motive the benefactor would have to have Lucky Floyd rubbed out. It turns out the benefactor had been banging Floyd's wife. Dun, dun, dun. So, <laughs> Yenzer agreed. What's, what's what's Floyd's wife's name? Um, I don't have that. Leticia. I did wow. have it. Was it uh, uh, Mary Bigford? Oh. oh, that's right. Yeah, Leticia. Um, so I'm just I just do did a little math. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't really do math. I just went to Google. 
eight thousand dollars in nineteen fifty nine is about eighty two thousand dollars today. Yeah, it's a lot of money back then. Hell yeah. I was just trying to think about like how bad did he really want Floyd rubbed out? That's like that's like a fuckload mm-hmm. of money. <laughs> so so Yenzer agreed to take the benefactor's money and go take care of Lucky Floyd. Um knowing the things that he knew, Yenzer uh began to negotiate with the benefactor. He agreed he agreed to kill Floyd for the benefactor, but the benefactor would have to pay more money. So the benefactor agreed to pay Yenzer more, and they agreed that it would be done in monthly installments. <laughs> like layaway. Like a layaway plan. J.G. Wentler, 877 cash now. It's your money. Use it when you need it. <laughs> a short time later, the benefactor agreed to meet with Yenzer at a hotel in Melbourne to discuss Space Coast. everything. At this meeting, the benefactor told Yenzer that he believed Lucky Floyd to be a raving maniac, as evidenced by the way he had attacked his business partner with a stick at the Chi-Chi Club <laughs> that one time they all agreed to kill the guy. Yeah, yeah. which I was also a part of. <laughs> he also agreed to pay Yenzer the final installment, $3,000, once Floyd was dead. He told Yenzer, quote, It'll be wired to you or mailed to you, however you want it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like now? Yeah. I'll just take it now. <laughs> <laughs> I want it now. That's how I want it. I take cash. So yeah. he told Yenzer uh, that if he was caught, that he'd find him a lawyer and pay all the legal fees. Oh, yeah. Um, the benefactor then said he'd wait in Orlando until the job was done. Yenzer was to, call, was to call him with a coded message to confirm that Floyd was dead. Meanwhile, our detective Mark Cram, our stand-in name for our collective of good cops and crusaders, Mark Cram was poring over what he had on the case. A shattered porch light, drops of blood on the porch walkway, the light into the beach, Two used spoils of uh, spools of adhesive tape, dry swimsuits, money still in the judge's wallet, money still in Marjorie's purse. Keys were still in the ignition of Chillingworth's Plymouth. The only things confirmed missing from the Chillingworth home were a pair of men's pajamas, a nightgown, and two pairs of slippers. Oh. Um. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> never never made that sound again. <laughs> Just when I'm gently Please. caressed against you. <laughs> I have a thing for pajamas. Um, it was the oh, slippers. slippers? Oh, okay. yeah, the slippers that really set them over. Understood. Do we have any pictures of the slippers? Um, <laughs> go on. <laughs> uh, while Yenzer took the benefactor's money and agreed to kill Floyd... He instead decided to visit the cops. Good luck with that, Buster. But Yenzer knew Sheriff Kirk was a shady, racist son of a bitch. So, instead, he went to the office of our hero, Detective Mark Cram. He told Cram everything that Lucky had told him at the speakeasy. 
Yenzer then told Cram that the benefactor's name was Joe. <gasps> Yen- Yenzer called him Joe. Lucky Floyd called him Joe. Everyone called him Joe. So Cram started to wade through information that would connect Judge Chillingworth with anyone named Joe. Biden? <laughs> <laughs> Folks. Just trying to do the math. I'm just trying to do the math, people. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, ice cream, sunglasses, whatever. He was probably like, <laughs> he was probably like forty then. So, <laughs> uh, anyway. Oh man. So, uh, yeah, he was looking through his, you know, kind of fi- trying to figure it out. Was it a former client of Chillingworth? Was it a mobster? Was Joe an alias for someone? But the only Joe he kept running into was Joseph Peel. Uh, A name from last week. (laughs) The municipal judge who was a bit shady and chummy with the mob. The horny judge. Yeah, the horny judge. Uh, But it didn't make sense to cram. Judge Joseph Peel was a shady dude, but he had no motive to kill Curtis Chillingworth and his wife. How could he be Joe the benefactor? So Cram did some more digging. He learned, as we are about to, that Joseph Alexander Peel was born in West Palm Beach and was married with two children. He became a lawyer in 1949, and three years later was named the city's only municipal judge. He was known for being extremely ambitious. He wanted very desperately to become attorney general and then to become governor of Florida. But Peel, Cram learned, was crooked. He granted warrants to investigating officers so they could raid a gambling den, but then as soon as the police left the office, he would call the mobsters and tip them off, and he would get 500 bucks for this. From the uh, mobsters. Then Cram learned that Peel represented both a husband and a wife in a divorce case in 1953. Peel was caught for this and was publicly reprimanded by his boss. His boss was Judge Curtis Chillingworth. Mm. But. Son of a. (laughs) But (laughs) Chillingworth had been merciful with Peel. Peel's shady act was a fireable offense for a judge. There should have been no mercy shown, but Chillingworth was chill about it. Why? He let <laughs> he let Peel off with a warning instead of firing him. But he said any further misconduct, and he would have to have Peel disbarred. Chillingworth, a lot of enemies, a lot like. <laughs> Dude, but also the Venn diagram of wanting to kill. But he's a cool guy. Chilling I mean, he let him off. Yeah. He's like, just don't fuck her up again. Yeah, that was smart. super chill. Um, it is my name, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Peel did that thing where he forgot to finalize a woman's divorce, which led her to be sued for bigamy because she was not legally divorced. So the woman got a lawyer, and that lawyer learned about Peel's mistake. Um, and called him on it. So afraid that this would mean Chillingworth would finally disbar him 
and thus ending his dream of someday becoming governor of Florida, Peel decided he had to kill Chillingworth. Then I'll definitely be governor. It's <laughs> <laughs> the quickest way. <laughs> um, Peel reportedly said at the time, quote, it was either that son of a bitch or me. <laughs> so Peel. That's, the, that's what I would run on. That would be my, my campaign. It was either that son of a bitch or me. Either that son of a bitch. I approve this message. <laughs> Dude, you would totally win with that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Peel turned to a man he knew would have no problem pulling off a murder Floyd Lucky Holtzapple Peel had met Lucky when Lucky was called when he was called to represent Lucky in the case where he was sued for defaulting on a loan the case that Chillingworth presided over and ruled in favor of Lucky so Peel was Lucky's lawyer for that case Dude, how many people are in this town? Like in West Palm Beach, like that. There's like five people. Three. Well, in this case, I'll be the judge, and you'll be the one that'll be tried. And <laughs> Today, the I'm next one, he'll be sheriff, and I'll be <laughs> the bailiff. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? In this? I thought I was the bailiff today. No, no, no. <laughs> that's Wednesday. It's like, just West Palm is like literally the size of Mayberry. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> man. It's true that you're a lawyer one day, the judge the next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or you're convict, you know, you're the suspect tomorrow, and you're the sheriff <laughs> Thursday. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so ah, we love it here. It's crazy. <laughs> Every day is different. Um according to Lucky. Peel called him one day and told him, quote, a man is trying to ruin us and I've got to kill him. <laughs> like, who's this us, motherfucker? Um, <laughs> so. I love the solution is just, just murder <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you help me murder him? But he's also helping me murder you. <laughs> so now. That Cram had a name, Judge Joseph Peel, he had to be sure. So he came up with a plan and asked Yenzer to help. He had Yenzer lure Lucky Floyd to a hotel room for drinks. There, he and a friend, a former cop named Jim Wilbur, were to ask Floyd questions about what he knew about the Chillingworth case. As they poured more drinks for Lucky, they secretly poured their drinks down the drain. And it, it, <laughs> and it was during this time where Floyd openly admitted that he was personally involved in the Chillingworth's murders. He drunkenly confessed to Yenzer and Wilbur that he and an, an accomplice named Lincoln went to the Chillingworth home at the behest of the benefactor and killed Curtis and Marjorie Chillingworth. Abe Lincoln's a murderer. <laughs> That's what this is about. <laughs> he's back from the dead, dead for like and he's killing. Years. <laughs> so was he a vampire? Yeah. Oh, stay tuned. <laughs> Can't rule anyone out. While this confession was happening, Cram was in the other room next door recording the entire conversation. 
Dude, Floyd's like a loudmouth. Oh, yeah. He, he can't I mean, fucking yeah, shut, the, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you give him a little bit of whiskey, and he's like, ah, I killed everybody. <laughs> so here's what Lucky Floyd told him. Lucky and Lincoln built their own boat, and they fashioned, fashioned it with a Dodge truck motor. So Cuban. Nice. Very Cuban. Had a, <laughs> had a good time. <laughs> On the night and of- I got a door, and that's the bow, if you want <laughs> it to be. Okay. I got a door, I got a tarp, and I got like 16-feet of rope. We're I got yeah. a fan. You use a fan. You put the fan and in the water, boom, you go. Boom. Uh, lawnmower, <laughs> uh, motor, and you put it inside of the boat. And yeah, you get to Miami. Look at this split. Uh, so on the night of June 14th, 1955, they shoved off toward the Chillingworth Beach House. The two men got drunk that night as they were getting ready to do the deed. And they coasted into the shore in the middle of the night. Lincoln waited behind a bush, a bush, a bush. Lincoln waited behind a bush. <laughs> I wrote Bosch, like Chris Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Bosch is in the story. Yeah. Blocked by Bosch. <laughs> Rebound. Kick out to Allen. Oh, it's Danny Green. Uh, Lincoln waited behind Chris Bosch in front of the house while Lucky knocked on the door. Curtis Chillingworth answered it. He had been asleep. He was wearing his pajamas and slippers. Ooh, see. Ooh, tell me about those slippers. <laughs> hey, take beer off from the store and continue with the slippers. Look, 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 were they soft? Take some time to write 30 minutes more about the slippers. <laughs> did, they, did they have any bunny ears Nice and on? snug for each toe. Ooh. This is getting weird. Um, so, <laughs> Lucky told Chillingworth that he was the captain of a yacht that had run aground, and he asked if he could use his telephone to call for help. Before Curtis could even answer, Lucky whipped out a gun. <laughs> Why bother, Why do you bother with that? Yeah, totally. Like, these yeah. guys are, like, the fucking most harebrained schemes. Just, yeah, seriously, like, just fucking just, like, kill the guy. Stupid. Like, hey, how about if we get a bathtub and we fill it up with the lake water, and then we put him in, and then we put him back in. Like, just fucking murder the guy. <laughs> there's, there's no forensics, dude. It's you just, could murder somebody, and 99% of the time you're going to get away. <laughs> so, yeah. Jesus so the whole story Christ. about being a yacht captain and my ship's aground. <laughs> That's some like, drunk guy like, shit at a bar you make up, and you're like, well, I guess we now we got to stick with it. Yeah. So, before we get an answer, Lucky whipped out a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I, on second thought, bang. <laughs> So he told Chillingworth that this was a holdup. I'm a yacht captain. It's a holdup. Hold yeah, which is what yacht captains do. Yeah. This is what people do before they kill you. They say it's a holdup. Uh, he asked if there was anyone in the house, anyone else. Curtis said, just my wife. My wife. Uh, Lucky said, well, call her out. <clears throat> and tell her to wear the slippers. Uh, so Lincoln then stepped from behind the bush he smashed the porch light so that they could work in the darkness they forced the Chillingworths to walk out onto the beach 
Marjorie hesitated, so Lucky smashed her across the head with the butt of a pist- of the pistol. Blood trickled from her wound onto the floor. The four of them went out toward the waiting makeshift boat. Lucky shoved off, and they rode out into the deep. So now we know how the glass was broken and where the blood came from. Um, a short while, after a short while, the boater, the boater, God damn it. Jesus Chris. Did I write this when I was stoned? <laughs> I hope so. Probably. Did I? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I usually read this and re-edit. No proofreading this week, folks. After a short while, the motor malfunctioned and they drifted for about an hour. At this point, Curtis tried reasoning with the two men. He offered them $200,000 if they let him and his wife go free. And this was way more than the eight grand the benefactor had promised. But Lucky turned it. At one point, Curtis helped Lucky restart the crappy motor. This is never explained why he did this, but he actually helped him (laughs) restart the motor. Everyone in the story is fucking... Bizarro. <laughs> so many bizarre things in this <laughs> fucking story. Why? Why are you hoping you're fucking... I will help you murder me. <laughs> Give me one second. I just hate to see a, mor- a, a motor stall. Your cho- the choke is messed up. Just come over here. You, flood- you flooded it. Just wait. Just wait. You flooded it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, just put the gun down for one second. Let me fix this. Then murder me. Here. Let me hold the gun so it doesn't get wet. <laughs> what you want to do? These old is... guns, they're not like the future guns. They can get wet. Like these ones don't stop working. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, so then once the, the, the motors start working again, they headed out further into the water, which is like, of course they did. Thanks. Oh my god. Me and my fucking my my dodge engine on a fucking door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the wife is like, That's you not... fucking idiot. You had to be a nice yeah. guy and help him. Seriously. Oh, like... man. Oh, so they're out deeper in the water. Lucky grabbed two heavyweighted army belts and tied the couple up with them. Um, Lucky looked at Curtis and then over to Marjorie. Lucky winked at Marjorie and said, Ladies first. He lifted her up. Curtis called out to his wife, Honey, remember I love you. I love you too, she replied. Lucky threw Marjorie overboard. She sank almost immediately. Lucky was amazed at the small amount of bubbles that she created as she sank into the deep. Then he turned to Curtis. Curtis stood up and threw himself overboard. Uh, Curtis was a strong swimmer, and he made it pretty far, even though he was strapped with weights. But Lucky and Lincoln caught up with him. They hit him across the head with the butt of a shotgun, but Curtis still wouldn't go down. Use the sock with the soap. (laughs) (laughs) This forced him to... They pulled him back onto the boat, and they strapped more weight on him. These guys are fucking dummies, man. They tossed, and then they tossed him overboard again. And this time, he definitely sank. So they waited to be sure, and after a few minutes, they knew both Curtis and Marjorie Chillingworth were dead at the bottom of the sea. 
didn't they have they had they didn't have guns or anything like that, right? Yeah, yeah, gun, but... yeah they literally hit him. <laughs> Why you shooting him in the fucking face? They had a, with a fucking gun. Yeah, they had a pistol yeah, shoot... and a shotgun. Shoot him in the face! <laughs> it's in the podcast. This is what you people do. You need to listen to Mur- Florida Man Murders to know this. I um, can't do anything about these guys. Try <laughs> another weight to them. This is so dumb. They're already in weights. And he's swimming. We hit him with a gun, but we don't shoot him. We yeah. bring him, him and the weights back onto the boat and tie more weights to him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, he'll be back in. <laughs> oh, we're putting weights on you. Oh, no, you did it again, you two. Is the motor working? The motor's fine, though. Where were we pulling back up? Pulling back up the motorcycle. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here, man? <laughs> uh, so they were done after um, they headed. So they headed back to the beach and they stashed the boat. And Lucky said he found the closest payphone and he called Joe, the benefactor. He finally revealed the name Joe. <clears throat> so Yenzer pushed him. Joe who? Yenzer asked. Joe, Lucky said. Joe? Yenzer asked. Yeah, Lucky said. Joe Peel. (laughs) Judge Joe Peel? Yenzer asked. Yeah, who else? Lucky said. (laughs) He's the only other person in this town. He's trying to get him to say it. Joe Peel? (laughs) He's trying to get him to say it on the recording. That's that's the whole thing. He's just like, he kept he, he so he's like yeah dude listening to the door yeah yeah Let's so who, who else look he's like who else it's like and what did you tell judge joe peel the answer asked <laughs> oh my god i deliver the prearranged coded message said lucky the motor has been fixed that was the coded message meaning the chillingworths were dead Got it. The next morning, Cram and his officers burst into the room where Lucky had passed out, and they arrested him. After Lucky's hotel room confession, Peel dipped the fuck out and hid away in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The irony in all this, the very motive Peel had to, had to have to kill uh, Curtis Chillingworth, it happened anyway. Like, the reason he wanted to kill him was because he was going to have him disbarred. But that happened anyway because a Broward County judge suspended Peel for 90 days over the whole non-divorce case fuck-up. And as a result, Mm -hmm. Peel was forced to resign his post as a judge, and then he resigned the Florida bar. This Which Chillingsworth was lenient about, Yeah, actually. Yeah, and so this was going to be strike two. And so this is a reason why he had him killed, but then he got caught anyway, and he had to resign anyway, and now his dreams of being a governor is gone. All this happened in 1959, which is four years after the murders. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, So a reporter tracked Peel down in Tennessee, and he found him, and he confronted the former judge. And Peel told the reporter, quote, I'm innocent. I want to go back to Florida as quickly as possible so I can have a speedy trial and clear myself. 
For his part, Lucky Floyd was trying to spin his take to save his own ass. He told the media that he wouldn't know Chillingworth if he saw him, saying, quote, It'll be a damn dirty shame if they execute me for the Chillingworths. They might come home next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After two years, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Lucky's accomplice, Lincoln, had been arrested in a, on a 1958 moonshine-related conviction when state attorney Phil O'Connell came to him with a deal because, because O'Connell had no bodies, he needed an eyewitness. So Lincoln was promised immunity if he agreed to testify against Lucky Floyd. Faced with that prospect, Lucky decided not to fight. At a November 7th, 1960 hearing, as spectators crowded the courtroom, Lucky broke down and began sobbing. He then told everything. He gave them all the same details he had given Jensen. Lucky added one more thing in his courtroom confession that he hadn't said in the hotel room. He turned to O'Connell and he said, quote, it didn't stop there. The fact is, just a short time after Judge Chillingworth was murdered, Judge Peel drove me to another house in Palm Beach. Your house. He wanted you killed. Lucky then pleaded guilty to both murders. Peel tried to have Lucky killed in prison. He tried bribing inmates to use poisoned cigarettes to give to Lucky. He then offered to smuggle a gun into the prison to have him shot. But there were no takers, probably because he was a former judge. You probably put how many of them there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Peel was eventually arrested, and his trial began in March of 1961. He was to be tried separately for the deaths of Curtis and Marjorie. The trial was moved to Fort Pierce. All 100 seats in the courtroom were filled. During the trial, Peel's defense told the jury that Lucky Floyd and Lincoln had acted alone and that Lucky claimed that Peel was involved only because Peel was fucking his wife. (laughs) O'Connell appealed to the jury's sentimentality for the dead. He said in his summation, quote, Judge Chillingworth would be on a bench like this tonight if it weren't for Joseph Peel. But the judge is here tonight, and Joe Peel knows it. Weird, but effective. <clears throat> I guess it worked back then, whatever. <laughs> His ghost is here, you is see. He? His spirit is here, <laughs> and he is presiding. He, he gets to the table. Oh, what's that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Chillingworth, is that you? Did it just get cold in here? <laughs> <laughs> um, the next day on March 30, 1961, jurors took just five hours and 24 minutes to pronounce jo- Joseph Peel guilty of accessory to murder. Two of the jurors said they would vote to convict only if Peel were spared the electric chair. Despite his cooperation, Lucky was sent to death row. This was later, <laughs> this was later though, commuted to a life sentence. Lincoln served his time for the moonshine sentence and then changed his name after he was freed. 
Oh God! And what he, is it now? he shaved his beard. And, uh, no, got rid of his top hat. Peel was then tried for the murder of Marjorie Chillingworth in a separate trial, and that trial was moved to Bartow, which is east of Tampa. Bartow. For that trial, Peel pleaded no guilty. No guilty. Pleaded no contest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a mess. Uh, for that trial, not, I pleaded not contesting. <laughs> Peel pleaded no. No lo contendere. <laughs> uh, since he pleaded no contest, he got another life sentence for Marjorie's death. Fuck. Joseph Peel spent 18 years at Florida State Prison in Rayford. By all accounts, he was a model prisoner and attended church regularly. His wife divorced him while he was in prison. Aww. <laughs> in 1979, Joseph Peel was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And due to his illness, Peel was paroled. Joseph Peel then moved into the Jacksonville home of the woman he'd been, who had been the flower girl at his wedding. Wow. What? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He planned to marry her. Jesus. <laughs> That's a fucking hornball to the day of my last breath. I'm looking for slippers. Uh, Puss. The woman was his flower girl. Man. And now my wife. This Flower yeah. Girl just sounds dirty now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she's my little flower girl. It's <laughs> gross. Yeah. You are my flower girl. Um, when asked for a All comment... Right, please move on. When asked for a comment on Peel's illness, O'Connell said, quote, I see no reason to show any mercy toward Mr. Peel. Yeah. For he has never shown Greedy. any... In- any mercy of his own during his adult life. In 1982, while he was dying, Peel granted the Miami Herald an interview. In the interview, he admitted to taking payoffs and working with the mob and how all he wanted was to use his judgeship to become governor. Quote, I was to go from state attorney to attorney general to governor. Even while dying, however, Peel refused to admit that he was behind the Chillingworth murders. In the interview, he said he didn't plan the murders, but he knew about them, and so was guilty only for not stopping the murders. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that called accessory to murder? <laughs> which is exactly why he went to prison for two life Yeah, terms. which is two exactly what he got convicted of. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty accurate. I knew about them, but accessory <laughs> seems incorrect. <laughs> um nine days after the Miami Herald interview, Joseph Peel died. He was eighty years old. Um Lucky would later tell his friends he drank a bottle of bourbon every night so he could cope with the murder of Marjorie Chillingworth. But that didn't stop him from appealing, saying his alcohol-fueled hotel confession was designed to, quote, impress two-bit punks. Yeah, 
fucking two bit punks. <laughs> uh, Lucky then died in prison in 1996. To honor their parents, the Chillingworth daughters started the Judge Curtis E. and Mrs. Marjorie M. Chillingworth Memorial Scholarship Fund at Florida State University. Uh, which is a uh, scholarship that still exists to this day. And that is the story of who killed the West Palm Beach judge and his wife. Sorry for the shitty title. <laughs> Pudding Babs. Pudding Babs. Pudding Babs. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the story. Part, part ones and two. Part one and two. Yeah. And thus Bonitas. concludes the first season of Florida Man Murders. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Sources for this Time Magazine article, The Scoutmaster and the Judge, The Chillingworth Murders by Catherine Cole and Cynthia Young, The Murder Trial of Judge Peel by Jim Bishop, The 2019 Podcast Chillingworth by John Moss, and the Spotify podcast, Deathbed Confessions Podcast. Ooh. Oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Deathbed Deathbed Confessions is pretty weird, but cool. I want to get a deathbed. You want to get a what? Deathbed. Oh, I thought you said a deathbed. Well, you're going to get one, but don't you worry (laughs) about it. (laughs) You don't know where it's going to be, but it's coming. Oh, my God. It's got... Dark. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> well, that was that was a great whodunit. There were so many potential yeah suspects there. Death. Death <laughs> Is that that's a good metal exactly. band? Death Death Dude, like fucking hardcore <laughs> speed speed metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Triple bass drum. Yeah. <laughs> Your factory's got shit on us. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, all right. Good well, stuff, man. Season well, that, one. Season one That's is a wrap. wrap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Keep yeah. liking, keep listening, keep, keep commenting. Keep sending me weird yeah. like, messages on Instagram. The Florida Man Murders is a Five Reason Sports production. Researched, written, and produced by Chris Joseph. Music by Roger Rimada. All source material can be found by visiting floridamanmurders.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, kids, only assholes murder. So, don't be an asshole. <laughs>